Amen. All right, this is our final week of poems. Cheers and groans abound. Um, cheers for me. I, I am good taking a break from Hebrew poetry for a while. All right, chapter nine is, as we said last week, uh, so if you were here last week, good, and uh, this will make a lot of sense. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to hope that it makes sense. We're going to be doing a lot of tying in to last week. So what I did mention last week is that chapter 9 is a representative summary of everything that's, that's come before. Uh, and so in this, this poem, the father tells the tale of two contrasting women. And these, these women both prepare a meal in their home. They both have a, a preparation for guests. They both send out an invitation. And they both have a conclusion to the meal. But the two women and the two meals and the two promises uh, for the invitation could not be more different. And so as a godly father, this is a call to his son, who is still simple, to listen to wisdom and live. This is the message of all of Proverbs. Listen to wisdom and live. Don't go after folly. Don't go after wickedness and die. Here is what happens to those in folly. They walk in foolishness, and they die. And the father's trying to spare the son from that. And so last week, we looked at wisdom's call as a parallel to the gospel call that goes out to everyone, and it becomes effectual, or it takes effect when one repents and believes in Christ, who is the true bread, the true wine. He is the feast. This week, it's going to be a little different. This is the anti-gospel call. It has similar elements, but very disappointing substance and a destructive conclusion. And so I want us to think about these two contrary meals. That's kind of going to be our running illustration this morning. One meal is carefully prepared. It is a feast of meat and bread and wine and cheese and salads and everything that goes along with it. And this, this amazing host has prepared it and it is satisfying and it is filling the other is like sketchy street food picked out of a dumpster, prepared with unclean hands, very far from the health inspector. And so the spiritual consequences of eating that one versus the other one are far worse than the physical consequences. So that's what we're going to be getting at this morning, the, the spiritual consequences of going into this woman and her feast. And so to keep the context, I'm going to read the entire chapter, but for our purposes, we will Focus on 7 through 18 and mainly 13 through 18. So uh, Proverbs 9. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pews. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added on to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud, and she is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by. You who are going, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we gather, we know we are in your presence. That where your people gather, you are there among them. We know that when your word is read and your gospel is proclaimed, that the sheep will hear and the goats will flee. Lord, I pray that the sheep would be ministered to this morning. Pray that they would drink of the sweet living water, that they would not fall for the bitter water of deception. Pray that if there are goats, that you would remove them, that they would not contaminate the waters. And if there are sheep who have not been called home yet, Lord, that you would prick their ears, that your spirit would stir their hearts, that they would, that they would stop going after folly, that they would run to you and feast on Christ, their sacrificial lamb. Lord, I pray that for your church this morning, your spirit will convict our hearts as you renew our minds in your word, that we may be obedient sheep, that we may run to your feast, rest at your table, and know that it is through Christ that we are adopted to sit as sons at the Father's table. May we be content, may we be joyful, and may we be undistracted until you return so that Christ may be glorified in all of our lives. And it is in his name we pray, amen. All right, so last week, wisdom. She is the hostess with the mostess uh, in, in every way possible. Uh, Lady Wisdom prepares this incomparable feast. She has a promise of nourishment and satisfaction in life that simple men should turn to. There's no reason why simple men shouldn't turn into her home, but sadly most do. Most hear the call, which is the gospel call. The good news that if you repent and turn in here, there's life. Most reject it. Most would rather have the fleeting pleasures of this life than true life that lasts unto eternity. And so before we go any further, when you think the simple is someone else, this is the story of humanity. We are the simple. We are the simple that in and of ourselves know nothing. And every time we will resist the gospel call. We will walk to folly every time because that is where, what our heart desires. And this text this morning should speak to us because we are all drawn away by our urges. We are all seeking the, fle the fleeting pleasures of the world. We are always looking for a better offer. And there is always another offer. 
but there is no better offer. And so here's where we find ourselves in Proverbs 9. So we're going we're gonna to go with the theory that the simple man has rejected wisdom's call. She's calling him into her home, but he walks by. And so the father, in, in order to give the son some application, he's telling him what's going on here. The simple man doesn't accept the invitation, and so he, in a sense, turns into a scoffer. I don't know if I really believe that. I don't think the, the news is, is good enough. And so um, here's where the father transitions. So I want to pick up in verse 7. We're going to look at it differently than how we looked at it last week. Um, so here's where we are, verse 7 through 12, where the father says, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Does not repro- do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wise. Or teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. In appealing to the simple, the contrast is to the scoffer and the wise. This is the mission of Proverbs, as we said last week. It's the call to the simple. Simple, you've got two choices before you, wisdom and folly. Which one are you going to choose? And the, paint, the, the picture that's, that's painted is clear. Wisdom is life and abundance and growth in the Lord. Folly is suffering and death. And this call of the simple, this call to life is inextricably linked with the fear of the Lord. So I want to get into the structure of this middle section a little bit. It is helpful. We've talked about chiasms before. Chiasm is a literary device for the Greek letter chi, which is an X. Kind of, if you think, if you picture in your mind a greater than sign, where you have parallel lines at the top, and they keep moving their way toward the middle. The idea is to draw your attention to the middle. Look at this section. It begins on the outside with the scoffers. The scoffers are the first and last things mentioned. They are the furthest from the fear of the Lord. Once they move on from the scoffers, you, you get wisdom. So first line, wherever, uh, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Go into verse 8, but reprove a wise man. Look in the last verse, verse 12. The wise are closer to the fear of the Lord than the scoffers. And then after the wise are two areas of growth. There's an increase in learning in verse 9. And there's a multiplication of days in verse 11. So you've got the, the scoffers furthest away, the, 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 wisdom are clo- the, the wise are closer, and then the wise will grow in learning and grow in length of days. And what is directly in the center? The chiasm, the, the, the structure of this, draws us to the theological center of the text. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everything is drawn to the fear of the Lord. None of this abundance, none of this multiplication of, of days, this increase of learning is possible without the fear of the Lord. There is no wisdom without the fear of the Lord. The scoffers are scoffers because they do not fear the Lord. And so this is a restatement of the Really, the uh, purpose verse, the thesis verse of all of Proverbs, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But notice the connection here. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Who are the scoffers? They are fools. They are the ones who despise wisdom. 
They despise instruction. They despise correction. They are the fools that the, that the, the writer of Proverbs is uh, warning us about. And so there's something also here in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We didn't get much to the second half of this verse, but we will today. So the, it begins with reverence. Reverence for the Lord, fear of the Lord, and then it moves into knowledge, to understanding of the Lord. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, if you were paying attention last week, this should draw your attention to, what is the final call of wisdom in verse 6? Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. What is the way of insight? Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is, this is wisdom's appeal. Listen to me. Know the living God. Know the holy God. The true and only God. When we get into the Gospels, what is this knowledge? What is this knowledge of the Holy One? One verse, John 17, 3. When Jesus starts his high priestly prayer, and he goes to the Father of glory in their shared glory while he is on earth, he describes what this knowledge is or, or, or declares what this knowledge is. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The center of this application in Proverbs is to know the Holy One. That is insight. This knowledge will always point you to Christ. If you fear God, if you know God, you will know Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And this is eternal life. So when we read back, this is so clear to us, and it, and it, and it should be. But when Jesus comes along and a Jew hears this, and they remember the Proverbs that their, their parents spoke into their lives, this should jump off the page at them. Know the Holy One. And Jesus says, by knowing the Holy One, you know me. This is the gospel call. The call to know the true and living God. The call to forsake all other masters. The call to, to, to come to the one who is worthy of worship. To call to the one who we should fear because life is in him. And to guarantee that life is in him, he gave us life by laying down his for us. This life is, is sealed because he took his life up from the grave and he is seated on high. In a moment, this woman folly is going to seat herself in the exalted place, but she cannot hold a candle to the true one who sits on the throne. And so we cannot read Proverbs without us seeing its fulfillment in, in Christ. And so to hold fast to this wisdom and knowledge, I want us to do what we did last week. This is good. We should do this every week and take a moment of self-examination. Remember last week we had three questions. We had three questions in this section. Number one, how do I take correction? Because here, whoever corrects a scoffer will, uh, excuse me, gets himself abuse. Scoffers, wicked people, critics do not like Discipline. None of us like discipline, to be fair. But they won't take it. They rebel against it. How do you take correction? Will I listen to the warnings of wisdom and turn? 
uh, and reading through Jeremiah th this week, and this verse keeps coming to me, Jeremiah 10, 23 and 24. Uh, when Jeremiah sees the wickedness of his, his people and the task that's before him to proclaim the message of the Lord, he examines himself. Jeremiah 10, 23, he says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself that it is not in man who walks to direct his step. Basically, I am depraved. There is nothing good in me. And so what is Jeremiah's response? Correct me, O Lord. I know my way is not in me. Do you know that? But in, correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. This is the posture of humility of the saints. Lord, there is nothing in me that wants to come to you. Lord, correct me. I need it. I am helpless on my own, but please remove your anger. Because if your anger was poured out on me, I would be obliterated. Do you take correction because it comes from a loving God and there is no help within yourself? Or do you resist it because you still think you're good enough on your own? Question number two, how do I take instruction? The wise man takes instruction and he will still be wiser. A righteous man will increase in learning. Do I take this wisdom and knowledge that I find in the scriptures and, and do I apply it? Do I love it? Do I hold on to it? That I may grow and honor the Lord with my life. Question number three, the most important that make the other two possible. Do I fear the Lord? Do I revere him? Do I hold him above all else? Do I desire to please him more than myself or others? Am I his servant or am I serving my, my flesh or some other master? I want you to keep these questions in mind. How do I take correction? How do I take instruction? And do I fear the Lord? Because this is what the Father is doing. Pay attention here. This is how you avoid lady folly. So, You've been warned, the stakes are set. The one who rejects correction and instruction does so because he has no fear of the Lord. And now he is prime for the call of Lady Folly. I remember last week, we talked about the feasts that were rare things. You didn't slaughter animals every day. If Lady Wisdom in her palace invites you to the scrumptious feast, you go. And everything she did is what you would expect a gracious and splendid hostess to do in those days. This was to the T what hospitality was in that day. This next picture is a little bit different. Let's jump in here in verse 13. This is the Feast of Fools. The last one could be the Feast of Fulfillment. This is the Feast of Fools. And all included in it are ignorant. They're all idiots. And let me tell you why. There's another theolo or a literary device here used called an inclusio. And so that basically puts two terms at the beginning and the end to tell you what, uh, what, what defines everything in the middle. If you've noticed this, it begins with, uh, she's loud, she's seductive, she knows nothing. The host knows nothing. What about the guests? Verse 18. The guest does not know that the dead are there. Starts with an ignorant host, has ignorant guests. This is a feast of fools. It is ignorant from beginning to end. 
This is what the, the, the writer's doing here. It's to show us that everything here is ignorance. Everything here ha- is devoid of knowledge and wisdom. It sh- and if you read through this chapter, it should be a no-brainer. It should be completely obvious which meal we want to attend. But is it? If we're honest with ourselves, we are so easily drawn into the dark and the mysterious. We are so easily led astray by what's behind door number three. I know I've got the new car, but there might be something better over there. What a wicked condition we have. God sets before us what is pure and righteous and holy. How often do we slap it away for what is dirty and dark and secret, thinking, I know that has fulfilled me before, but maybe this will fulfill me now. We are discontent creatures. We're always on to the next thing, always on to the, to, to the new thing. We're always on to the better offer. But the offer has been the same from the beginning of redemptive history. Fear the Lord, come to me and live. Fear the Lord, come to me and live. And Lady Folly has taken many forms over time. She has, she has presented many gospels. Her anti-gospel is the antithesis of the good news. But she promises good news and people fall for it every day. We, in our flesh, if it was up to us, as Jeremiah says, there's nothing within me that wants to pursue you, Lord. If it was up to us, we would go after her to the secret and the seductive every time. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And so don't look at this and say, yeah, that's for someone else. That's for the fools over there. Every one of us has to fight the pull in our flesh to go to darkness. We, if you are in Christ, you have feasted with Lady Wisdom. You know how satisfying it is. You know how enduring it is. And yet every day you are tempted to Lady Folly's door. So this is counsel to this simple young man. So this woman, the woman folly, she is the personification of folly. Folly is the state of being foolish. She is foolish all day, every day. That is who she is. Like her counterpart, who is, who is the, the wisdom of God, perfectly displayed. She is foolishness, perfectly displayed. And her character is an unflattering trinity. While Lady Wisdom is industrious and attentive and noble, She is loud, seductive, and knows nothing. But yet she's so appealing. Let's look at each of these very quickly. This loud here. In the Hebrew, this is not just volume. This is brashness. This is in-your-face sensuality. She is going to bully you with her, her words to get you to conform to her. She is fearless in her pursuit of your soul. And she's seductive. This, in the Hebrew, is the uh, fullness of all simpleness. She's seductive because she knows everything about the simple. She speaks their language. She knows how to draw them them in because she's on their, their wavelength. And she knows nothing. She has a one-track mind. 
cause them to stumble, cause them to stumble, cause them to stumble by any means necessary. She doesn't care to know the knowledge of God. She doesn't care about her actions or consequences. How many people does this resemble? How much of our culture does this resemble? Loud, brash, in your face. Seductive, speaking simple things to draw you in. The breadcrumbs of death. Know nothing. We have all the knowledge of all time at our fingertips. We are dumber than we've ever been. So before we go any further, are you wise enough to pick up on her call? Are you wise enough to spot when Lady Folly is preaching to you? It's a clear sign that something's not right when a woman is preaching to you. Are you wise enough to listen and spot it? I didn't say she was a good preacher. Look at verse 14. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of town. Notice this, this contrast there. Remember Lady Wisdom? Lady Wisdom, look at all the action in, in uh, 9, 1, and 2. She has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She sent out the young woman. This is an industrious woman. This is not a lazy woman. Lady Folly, she's sitting down having a cigarette. She's lazy, she's, she, she's, half, she's haphazard, she's uninspired in the way that she welcomes people into her home. She's not industrious like wisdom, but this is a dual condemnation. Not only is she sitting, she sits in her house, but she also sits where she shouldn't. Notice, she takes a seat. She's not offered a seat, she doesn't deserve the seat, she takes a seat. This Hebrew word can also be translated throne. She takes a throne in the highest places. She sets herself up on the places of highest authority. She puts her, herself in the place of power and influence. She asserts her own authority. She is lazy in her own home, but she wants to tell you how to run your life. Ever met any people like this? She has failed at everything she does, but she wants to give you counsel. Don't take counsel from those people. And so while wisdom prepares her home and she's industrious and she sends out her messengers, what does Lady Folly do? She is calling to those who pass by. The messengers of wisdom, they are messengers coming with a higher authority. They are sent out by their master to bring others in. Again, Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly speaks on her own authority. She has no higher authority to draw from. It is her own quote-unquote wisdom that she uses. And here's what's so insidious about what she does. She's calling to those who pass by, but more specifically, who are going straight on their way. The enemy is most angry when you are on the straight way. She doesn't need to call out to the wicked. They're already hers. They're already dining But those who she puts her attention toward are the ones who are on the straight path. Uh, one verse again from Jesus here, Matthew 24, 24. If you can get there quickly, 
please do. If not, it will be up on the screen. Matthew 24, 24 talks about the last days. Uh, we are in the last days. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, that's the emphasis here, even the elect. What will mark the last days? False Christ, false prophets, false teachers should draw a lot of attention to our Wednesday night study in, in, in Second Peter to draw away everyone, even the elect. Now we know if you are elect, if you are in Christ, if the Father has given you to Christ before the ages began, they will not be able to pull you away, but they will try. Everyone, even the elect, meaning if they can, the elect. Those who are going on the straight path. And I will tell you, those who are going on the straight path may be doing well at the moment, but the ones who are most susceptible are the ones doing it in their own strength. And our enemy and our flesh and the world, the, 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 the unholy trinity knows when we're going in our own strength. And Lady Folly is calling to us. Isn't this always the way? We think we're doing well. We start to feel pretty good about ourselves. I made it to church three weeks in a row. It's the best I've ever done. I read my Bible four days this, this week or whatever, whatever your, your litmus test is for when you are doing well. And you start to feel pretty good about yourself. You start to get, to get comfortable where you are in your, your progress. And then your sin starts calling you. You're doing pretty good. You can take your foot off the gas a little bit. You're doing, you're, you're doing, you're doing well. One little, one little nibble won't hurt you. I was thinking about this, like, this is like those, those cookies in the pantry, right? That you're doing really well. You are not giving in to the temptation, but every time you walk by in the back of your mind, you know that they're there. And they keep calling to you. And every time you walk by, you start to get closer and closer. Just me? And then they, and then they, they tell you just the final nail in the coffin, just one. Do it just one time. You can get back on your diet tomorrow. That is our sin. That is our temptation. You've been, you, you've been good. Reward yourself with a little sin on the side. When you walk, when you try to walk the path in your own strength, it feels like you're walking on a tightrope. Because the path is so narrow. You feel like you could fall over on either side. You are exhausted. I know many of you in here are exhausted. You are trying to walk the Christian life in your own strength. You have this, this very thin rail of your own obedience that you think will hold you up, and it can't. And folly is ready to pull you from one side to the other. But you know the ones who walk sure and steady? When you walk in Christ's strength, every foot is on solid ground. Every step is secure underneath you because you don't need to hold yourself up. You don't need to balance yourself. You can, you can throw yourself at his feet and know that he has already paid it for you. Each day he's encouraging and sustaining you, and when you stumble, he will pick you up. And so there we can boast in our weakness. But this is who Lady Folly wants. She wants the ones who are trusting in themselves, who feel like they're doing really good right now, the religious people. I do all these external things and I'm good. Satan can never touch me. 
That is another false gospel. That if you do all these external things, if you're on your own straight path, that you'll, you'll continue on it in your own strength. Sin and temptation are batting a thousand, and you will always fall away. So, she goes on. She's calling to those who pass by, to those who are on the straight way. She's calling the ones who are doing pretty good. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, before we move on, what do you notice about verse 16? Does that sound familiar? Read verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. Notice any differences? You don't. Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly give the same exact call. Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly use the same exact words. And to the simple, these sound the same. Or these are two legitimate options. The simple puts them next to each other and weighs them as if they're equal. I think this is intentional here. To the untrained ear, they're the same. There's nothing uh, wrong with her call. And that's exactly what she's counting on. Because folly and false teachers can say the same words with very different intentions. We talked about this in our so many parallels to our second Peter study. But how the false teachers, the false gospels will talk about Jesus, will talk about good things and mean something completely different to draw you away. She says the exact same words that Lady Wisdom does. But here's what's inherent within her words. Last week, we talked about whoever is simple, let him turn in here. That is a gospel call from Lady Wisdom. Turn from your sin. Turn to the living God. Know the Holy One. In the anti-gospel, there's a call to repent too. Turn from the righteous way. Turn from the straight path. She calls the simple to repent as well. In the gospel call, there's a call to believe. We repent and believe. Believe the good promise that in my house, I've got bread and wine that satisfies. There is life in my house. The anti-gospel also has a message to repent and believe. Believe that my bread is sweet, that my stolen water is pleasant. Believe that what I'm offering can sustain you, that it's not just a fleeting passion. She wants you to turn from your good ways and believe that her wicked ways are actually good. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Jeremy did a good job this on Wednesday, so I'm going to steal his illustration. Um, anytime there is wisdom, there will always be a false wisdom. Anytime there is something of value, someone will try to counterfeit it. Anytime there is something worth having, someone else is going to try to make a buck off of it with a fake version. Counterfeiters try to rip off valuable things at their own, for their own gain. So if they can rip off watches and purses and anything else, you don't think the enemy is going to try to rip off the gospel? There's not many of us in here, if any, who could tell the difference between a fake Louis Vuitton bag and a real Louis Vuitton bag. If you do, you should put your money elsewhere. Um, <laughs> But hopefully every one of us in here can tell the difference between the true gospel and a fake gospel. We should know the real thing so well that we can spot a counterfeit. But Lady Folly is counting on the simple. 
who are not discerning enough to tell the difference. Well, one religion is just as good as another. One call is just as good as another. Just like there are always counterfeiters, there are always greedy fools who want to deal. Always greedy fools who want to cut corners and they prefer the stolen counterfeit. This is her only tool. Just like her father, Satan, only has one tool. He cannot create anything. He cannot make anything new. He can only take what God has given and distort it, create lies out of it. And so folly will always mimic wisdom. She will give you foolish sayings like God helps those who help themselves. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. You can go down the line. She always gives things, oh, that sounds good enough. But it's close enough to create doubt and to draw you in. Uh, she is like an octopus. You ever seen those octopuses who, um, it's fascinating, how they can blend into their surroundings. They get in the coral, they look like the coral. They get in the sand, they look like the sand. They, and, and, and why do they do that? So they can hunt. They blend into their surroundings. They look like what is close by so the fish won't suspect a thing. And they wait patiently, thinking the fish think that everything's safe until they get close by and they grab them and they eat them and they swallow them whole. This is Lady Folly. She's a chameleon. She blends into whatever she has to. She distorts whatever she has to, lying in wait, knowing that there are simple out there who will get close enough to be devoured. And she is always seeking to distort pervert, and make crooked what God has made straight. Now here in her invitation, she describes her meal. Now putting this up against Lady Wisdom's meal, this should fall uh, pitifully short of what we've seen before. But again, if we're honest, this kind of appeals to our flesh. Where she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Here's the other thing about her anti-gospel call. Her anti-gospel call has its own sacraments. Last week, we looked at the bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Christ. She has a representative symbolic meal as well. Now, this isn't present in the English, but in the Hebrew, there's sensual undertones here. Uh, these two examples are euphemisms. and won't get too much into that. But really, her feast is not a feast at all. It's a, it's, it's a facade that calls the simple to indulge in the flesh, to go after what is forbidden. Wisdom prepares her own buffet of nourishing and satisfying food, the body and blood of, of Christ for eternal life. But Lady Folly has no substance. She can only steal. She can only lie. So she results to seductive advertising. That's what this is. This is seductive advertising. She is saying it with a wink in her eye as she's licking her lips. Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You can tell a lot about a product by how they sell it. If a product has no substance and no value, they sell it with sex because sex sells. This is who she is. There is no lasting value. It can't, her message can't stand on its own so she, she laces it with seduction. And in this way, she's very much like the adulterous woman that we've seen in previous chapters. And 
people buy it. And now the trap is set. And then here's what she's offering. Stolen water. Stolen water is sweet. So let's break this down for a moment. Um, Water. Water is life. We've talked about this before. In that culture, in an an arid culture where there is not running water everywhere, if you've got a well, you protect it, you, you cover it, you don't give water away. She is a thief. She steals water. She's not even, she, she can't even steal wine. She steals water. And she steals this water. She's a lazy thief. So it's not even her water. It's someone else's water. Do you remember we spent three weeks on talking about sexual ethics in chapter 5? What was the encouragement to the young man? Drink from your own cistern. Here, she's telling him to drink from my cistern. Don't go after the cistern that is, that is yours. Don't drink your own water. Find my water. But we know it's not even her water. She stole it. She has nothing of her own to offer. She must steal and distort. She can't create anything. But when she steals from others and you drink from her, she steals your life. There's this reciprocal relationship. What she steals will be stolen from you. Temptation promises life. It seems sweet, but it always ends up bitter. And this stolen water can never satisfy. There is only one source of living water. There is only one water that can satisfy. And the false gospels try to duplicate it. The false call of Lady Folly says, Come in here and drink and live but it's poison water. And the simple, drink and die. It's not just water at her meal. At least she's got water and bread. It sounds like a prison meal. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. This is such a loaded metaphor. I love Proverbs 20, verse 17. Chapter 20, verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. But afterward, his mouth will be full of gravel. This is the meal she's offering. It's sweet for a moment, but it's going to leave you dry in parts like you were chewing on rocks. And she is calling him into her home, into the secret of her home. This also is a euphemism. But I want to deal with this secret for just a moment. Stolen water, seat, bread, sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Sin thrives in secret. The secret sins are the ones that are closest to our heart. The one that no one else knows about. The one that everyone in this room desires to hide. Things we want no one else to know. And that's where her feast is. And the darkest corners of your heart that you think you can hide. We think we can hide in secret like Squirrels and chipmunks, they're little thieves. They, they steal bird feed, they, they, they steal things, and, and they hide and they shove them in their mouth as much as they, they can, and they, and they crouch in a corner. You ever watch them do this? That's what we think we can do. We think we can shove our, our mouths and fill ourselves with our own desires and think no one will see us. You know those cookies that we talked about in the pantry earlier? This sin is like that whole box of cookies that you ate when no one's looking. 
don't poke each other. Because I, I, you can poke each other because I know I'm not the only one. But this is what our sin does. It calls us in secret. I can devour this and no one will know. But here's the other lie of this. There are no sins that are secret. There is nothing that is hidden before the eyes of the Lord. Whatever you think you are hiding, whatever you think you are getting away with it, you're not. Because if you think you have a sin that you can hide and get away with, you are listening to Lady Folly's gospel. But your sin is exposed. You are naked before the true and living God. It is better to repent and turn to him than think that you can, in your own strength, push these sins down. This is why our reading from Isaiah 55 was so pertinent. I want you to turn there again. We began our service with this. And I love how this pulls together the picture of eating and drinking and feasting and pointing us to the Messiah. To the promised one. Pulling us away from folly and to wisdom. Notice all the similarities in the message. Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here we are. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? How many of you right now, if you were to look at your checkbook, if you were to look at the hours of your week, how much of your time, your money is spent on that which is not bread. How much of your effort is given to that which is not life-giving, but maybe even, maybe even that, that takes life from you? How much of your effort is given to that which is loud and seductive and ignorant? Why? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Here's the call here, that your soul may live. This is the same message throughout all the scriptures. Come to the Lord and live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. The promise to live in the Old Testament was the promise to live in Christ. My steadfast, sure love for David. It is important that Jesus Christ is the son of David because he is the one who makes the everlasting covenant. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples. When wisdom's messengers goes out, it is, it is Christ who is being proclaimed. A leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. Remember, that's the purpose of our application section. For he, is he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Turn off the way of folly. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. As Lady Wisdom says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. That he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I love all the correlations. And... I wish I could spend more time into it. But this is good to meditate on this week. How does the wisdom of Proverbs point us to the, the promises of Isaiah and the fulfillment in Christ? So as we come to the end of our chapter, the end of this final section, 
we land on ignorance again. We begin in ignorance. We end in ignorance. Verse 18. But he does not know, that's the invited guest, that the dead are there. That's a bummer. Imagine you get invited to a party, you realize everybody's dead. That's even worse, you get invited to a party and everybody's dead and you don't even know it. That her guests are in the depth of Sheol. Like her, he is ignorant and destined for death. This feast for fools is driven by lustful desires and ignorance. And her home leads straight to hell. Folly's door, like the door of the adulterous woman, leads to death. Remember, we looked at her quite a few times. Here's the truth. There are many doors that lead to death. There is only one door that leads to life. You go after the adulterous woman, death. You go after folly, death. You go after pride, death. You go after exalting yourself, death. There is only one door. And I would be remiss if I didn't take you to that door. Let's turn to John 10. John 10 is the great good shepherd passage. But there is no shepherd if you do not go through the door. John 10, starting in verse 7. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Notice the contrast here. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Lady folly, lady wisdom. Lady folly can only steal and lie. But the sheep listen to lady wisdom. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The call, come in and live. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. That's true freedom. Notice the difference. You go into Lady Folly, you go in and die. Whoever, like Hotel California, whoever comes here, they, they, they never leave ever. But you come in through the true door, there's freedom. You can come and go and find pasture. You truly have pasture in him. The thief, Lady Folly, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he goes on to tell them how they have that life. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The ones who hear my voice will come. They will accept the invitation. They will come in and feast with me. I am the only door that leads to life. Don't listen to the ones who climb over. Don't listen to the ones who, who steal and, and rob and try to get you in to go to the other door. There is one fold. There is one Lord. There is one Savior. There is one holy one that you must know, the true and living God, and the one that he sent, Jesus Christ, and in him is eternal life. Everything else is death. One other thing that's probably worth mentioning here. There is an unspoken reality. I have heard false, I won't call them false teachers, but false sermons for sure that talk about there being three ways. You can trust Christ, you can reject Christ, or you can just be indifferent, or you can just walk away. Indecision is a decision. That's the reality here. Yes, this is a call to the simple, but the default meal is Lady Folly. You are dining with death until you, until you accept the call, until you 
are, come into Lady Wisdom, you are dining with death until you turn from your simple ways. So before we get to chapter 10, we're going to take a break from Proverbs next week. Be aware of these two calls because these two women host all of humanity. You will be dining with one or the other. You will be in wisdom unto life or folly unto death. This morning, both are standing before you. Both are zealous for your affections. Both are preparing for you to enter. Both are sending an invitation. The choice should be obvious, but it is not easy. In fact, it is impossible. In your own strength, you cannot make the right choice. In your own strength, you cannot accept the invitation. Then what must we do? What must we do to be saved? Pray. Pray that the Lord would create in you a clean heart. Pray that the Lord would change your desires. Pray that if you have a, a, a new heart, that he would restore the joy of your salvation like David. Pray for wisdom like Solomon. James tells us that we ask for wisdom. God gives it to us generously. And if you are in Christ, praise the Lord for the irresistible call of the Holy Spirit. Because if the Father had not given us to the Son, and the Spirit did not draw us to the Son, we would die. Because without the draw of our God, without the irresistible grace that comes from His Spirit, we are dining in death. So, finally, I want you to think about these two women. We're going to keep our food analogies going. These are like two restaurants like Burger King and McDonald's across the street from each other. They're both pumping out free smells for the world to indulge in. The simple, to the simple, they, they, they smell familiar or, or similar. To the foolish, the smells of stolen food and deceitful bread are enticing. But to the wise, that is funny, we smell the rotting flesh of death. And we smell the sweet aroma of wisdom's feast. And in the fear of the Lord, we are drawn to the master's table. To the wise, we feast on Christ, our sacrificial lamb. We dine with him. We dine on him so that we will dine with him forever. And so whose guest are you? I pray that you are wise and you have heard the effectual call. I want to close as the Bible closes uh, in Revelation 22. Revelation 22 ties this entire chapter and the entire Bible together. These are the last words of Jesus before his return. Here is what he calls to the wise and to the foolish, to life and to death. Behold, I am coming soon, Revelation 22:12. I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. I am angry at sin to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes and are ready for my wedding feast so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral, the murderers and the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, i.e. folly. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify. These are the messengers to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I am the promised feast. The spirit and the bride say, come. 
When we have received the invitation to come into the meal, we now beckon him to come and return. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And the final words he says in verse 20, surely I am coming soon. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your plan of redemption. (laughs) There's been the theme this morning that in a way we can't understand, you knew us before we existed. You knew that Adam would sin. You knew that in, in Adam we would sin. You knew that we would run after folly with every fiber of our being. You knew that we would reject your call in our own strength. So you sent your son. You planned from eternity past for him to be the author and the agent of salvation. That his body, that his blood would be the feast unto eternal life. And you knew even then we wouldn't eat. So you sent your spirit to change our hearts, to change our minds, to draw us to you. Lord, I pray this morning that those who are in you would run from folly that she would not tempt them off the straight path, that they would listen to her foul voice and recognize her foul stench and run to you. Those here this morning who are simple, who are content in dining with folly, recognize the putrid, rotten meal that they are eating. Let them know that they are dead, that they dine with death, Open their eyes that they may hear the voice of the shepherd come through the door and live in him. It is in his name we pray. Amen.